Witness history this year at the French Open, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch it. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. It's three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off. We'll see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if fresh faces rise to the challenge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it all goes down. Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Hello, Monday Match Analysis podcast listeners. Gil Gross here. Hope you're enjoying the start of the Australian Open. This would usually be the day where I post a mailbag, first Monday of a major. But because of the Australian Open schedule, the fact that it's a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, down under first round, I thought it would be nice to wait until the first round comes to its full conclusion and then do the mailbag. But I didn't want to leave you hanging on this Monday. So what I have put together here is an audio exclusive that combines my last three YouTube videos. It's going to be three topics. The first is Dino Prismich, who had his slam debut against Novak Djokovic night one on Rod Laver Arena. The second topic is going to be Andre Rublev, who narrowly escaped an upset defeat against Tiago Zybach-Vilch. And lastly, we're going to talk about Stefanos Tsitsipas, who caught my eye because of a service technique change. He beat Zizou Bergs, but it's really the serve that I want to discuss. Dino Prismich is something special. We saw that last night. Day one, Australian Open 2024, Rod Laver Arena. He makes his slam main draw debut against Novak Djokovic at 18 years old as a qualifier out of Croatia, won the Roland Garros Junior Boys Championship a season ago. And he loses in four sets against Novak Djokovic in about four hours. And that in itself is not that big a deal. Enzo Cuoco took a set off of Novak, round one of the Australian Open. The year before, Sun Wu Kwan took a set off of Novak Djokovic, round one of Wimbledon. The year before that, well, Djokovic played a guy named Jack Draper in the first round of Wimbledon. Draper took a set, and just like Dino Prismich, he was making his slam main draw debut. And then at the next major, Novak would go up against a guy named Holger Runa, making his slam main draw debut. And Runa, as well, took a set off of Novak Djokovic. Now, obviously, Draper and Runa, they left 
everybody who watched those matches, pretty impressed. They showed some stuff, some skill, some talent, some ability. And they had some success against Novak Djokovic. That left an impression. And sure enough, fast forward a couple of years, and they are two great prospects in this sport. Sure, at different stages. But even if I compare it to Draper and Runa in 2021, what we saw last night is a couple notches above. This is the most enchanted that I have been by a slam main draw debut. And I am not putting a stake in the ground and saying that from that one, from watching that one match, Prismich is going to be better than Draper. Prismich is going to be better than Runa. But what I can tell you is the experience of watching the match last night. Just that, in a vacuum, left a greater impression on me than those two debut efforts back in 2021 that I remember watching very carefully. And in the case of Holger Runa, watching in person. There is some eye test stuff with Prismich that is can't miss, that is undeniable. And I like to trust my eyes when it comes to these things. With a healthy level of skepticism, with an understanding that, okay, one match is one match. We got to see it in different conditions. We got to see it in different against different opponents. We got to see it over a consistent period of time, over long stretches of time. Sure. But there are also some things that I saw last night that are never going to change. And it starts with the spectacular athleticism that Dino Prismich put on display. The speed around the court, the ability to maintain the highest level of effort and energy over and over again, point in and point out, playing long rallies often, defending often. He did it for four hours and he still had a lot of juice left in those batteries when they shook hands at the end of the match. I'm not going to tell you the battery was 100% full, but there was plenty of charge there. Especially if you look at the way that he competed from down four love in that fourth and final set. Ended up losing at 6-4. More on that later. So Prismich, he's got a pair of legs on him. I don't know how else to put it. And certainly visually, he put that out for the world to see with the, uh, the length of his shorts. But it's not just for show. The way he was moving, the endurance and the speed... And even the footwork was top-notch stuff. But some people have that, that movement around the court and they show those things, but there are certain drawbacks when it comes to their athletic makeup. Maybe they don't have that fast twitch explosiveness uh, that takes away what they can do uh, when it comes to their ground stroke speeds or their serve speeds. Jaume Munar is someone who comes to mind. He moves great. He's got fantastic stamina. But he lacks explosiveness when it comes to striking the tennis ball. And I think that that is partially just his fast twitch explosiveness and his power is lacking. And then there are some others who are vertically challenged. That comes with its own stuff. You think of maybe an Alex Dimonor. Prismich is six foot two. And he's got plenty of that explosive power. I can't even nitpick 
the athletic specimen that Dino Prismich is. I can't nitpick it. He's got everything when it comes to the ideal athlete that you want a tennis player to be. Period. And the only recent frame of reference for this kind of athletic specimen at that age, 18 years old, is Carlos Alcaraz. That is the only recent frame of reference I can give you. But there are some ways that I don't want to compare Prismich to Alcaraz. I think their personalities as tennis players are quite different. And that kind of brings me to the next thing I want to talk about in regards to Prismich, which is that he's got a game that is built to use his legs as a primary weapon. Not the only weapon. Not the only thing he he brings to the table on a tennis court, but he has a game that is predicated around using his movement as a primary weapon. And that is through a marriage of movement with fitness and rally tolerance. These things that are all related and come together in one package. And Prismich brings a ball machine-like consistency. Never felt last night that he was going to make an easy unforced error at any point. You always trusted that the ball was going to come back into play unless Djokovic put him in an immense amount of pressure. And he does that through a, a heavy high RPM forehand that has the revolutions that enable him to play with a lot of net clearance. On the backhand, it's a very different story. Same result, ultra consistent. But it's a, a very short, quiet take back. Uh, flat backhand with great depth control. Again, the, the word I like to use on the technique is quiet. Doesn't seem like a lot can go wrong. There are some aspects of the technique that probably take away the potential for power. There's not, um, there's not that, that huge take back. There's not that big involvement of the, the snapping of the left wrist um, or the engagement of the left arm. But it is, to me, actually the platonic ideal of what you want a, a backhand to be in terms of a bulletproof shield that is maybe not going to win you a ton of points, but it's not going to cost you like so many backhands on the tour do to other players. It's a net negative side for so many players. The backhand for Prismich is a rock. It's got great depth control, and it is difficult to attack, and it rarely misses. Prismich has a disciplined shot selection. Rarely, if ever, did I see him making low percentage decisions in his baseline game. How often am I here talking about young players Young players especially saying, all right, they don't really have that decision-making stuff down yet. They'll get it eventually. They'll mature. Maybe when they're 21, maybe when they're 22. Heck, maybe it'll take, like Daniil Medvedev, maybe it'll take until they're 23 or 24 before they get that part down. Prismich has it right now. And then there's a skillfulness and a willingness to defend. So much of defense is mentality. So much is mindset. In order to defend well, 
You have to want to defend. Prismich, Prismich likes it. Prismich embraces the defensive aspect of the game. Uh, this, to me, is the bedrock of what we saw in like a young Novak Djokovic and a young Andy Murray and even a young Rafa Nadal. But to me, it's become lost in young players. I've rarely seen this. Um, I've rarely... I've rarely seen a young player with this makeup, and I've wondered for a long time, am I going to see another young player who comes up and immediately is someone who values consistency? And you have to be pretty elite athletically like those three that I just mentioned are slash were. But is there going to be a young player who I feel like above all else values consistency? Prismich is that guy. And usually, when you have that kind of play style, it goes along with uh, a mentality that embraces hard work and a warrior mentality. Not always, but man, a lot of the times, these things go together, right? How could you be someone who likes to play long points and is really disciplined from the back and embraces the defensive side of the game? And doesn't have that warrior mentality, right? That Those two things don't really fit together. Usually those puzzle pieces, those Tetris pieces do go together. And for Prismich, that is the case. Mentally, we saw some great things last night. I'll start here. His game didn't change under pressure. He was the same guy when it comes to the decision-making process. He was the same guy no matter what the scoreboard says. And that's what you can control, right? If a player gets tight and lacks some execution or misses a shot here and there, what are you going to do? It happens. But one thing that I look for is do you play the same way? In, in the, do you, are you able to implement your style in all circumstances, or do you get away from what you do best under pressure? Prismich was the same guy. In that second set tiebreak, he was a rock, just like he was throughout the, the rest of the set. But I think the most impressive thing was uh, his refusal to accept defeat in set number four. That's the best thing we saw from Prismich mentally. Because he was down love four, 30-40 in the fourth set. Would have been so easy for him to just say, okay, Novak, he's the greatest. And he's just too good. And I did amazing to play him close tonight. And I did myself justice. And I gave this crowd a show. But surely, I've lost now. So let's just chill out. Let's take our foot off the gas. And uh, let's get to the locker room here. Instead, he hits two aces. Uh, he hits a serve plus one forehand winner to hold. Then he plays a rock solid return game and breaks serve to make it 4-3. Then at 3-5, he's facing love 40, Saves three match points, saves another, ends up saving four match points in the 3-5 service game to make Djokovic serve it out. Why was he able to play Djokovic so well, play Djokovic so tight? Um, I'm kind of done talking about Prismich in a vacuum. Um, those are my impressions on his performance uh, last night. But as far as his matchup against Djokovic goes, he played Djokovic like Medvedev does. The only difference was Novak couldn't get forward all the time. So, 
you know, Prismich really challenged Novak to find finishes, and Prismac, Prismich tried to wear him down physically, and he tried to play Novak backhand to backhand and just stay patient in that pattern and try to make it a physical war. And Prismich has the movement to do that and the consistency to do that, just like Medvedev has those assets in order to do that and go toe-to-toe in that style game with Novak Djokovic. And as we've covered, Novak is not a titan of endurance anymore. This style can work if you have what it takes. The big difference between Prismich and Medvedev was, uh, you know, we've seen how Djokovic has solved the Medvedev problem in those moments. Djokovic would have lost the second set in the U.S. Open final against Medvedev if he didn't have the ability to come forward and win points at the net, pretty much on command, especially on service points. Well, Prismich, he takes the ball early enough, especially the return to serve early enough, kind of shuts down that aspect of things. And Novak for the match was only 20 of 30 at net. It's all right. It's decent. But in terms of net rush frequency, I think for Novak, ideally it would have been a little bit higher. And even when it comes to net rush effectiveness or net rush efficiency, ideally for Novak, it would have been a little bit higher. For me, the the credit goes to Prismich and the way his game was able to deter that. So that is kind of the issue that Djokovic was, I think, running into, particularly in the second set where it was the forehand wasn't firing. It was a bad forehand set for Djokovic in the second set and the start of the third set for what it's worth. Forehand wasn't effective enough. So the forehand isn't firing. The backhand isn't going to be a finishing weapon from the back of the court. The net rushing isn't really there. The first serve isn't carrying me. Novak had no way to get out of that prismich web of shot tolerance. Rally tolerance. Terms I use interchangeably. So in the second set, Prismich uh, wins points over nine shots, 10 to seven. And then the other rally lengths are tied. And then in set three, which was also a highly competitive set, Prismich wins shots over nine, rallies over nine shots, 13 to seven. For the match as a whole, uh, rallies over nine shots were 35 to 36. Prismich was right there with Novak in those extended rallies. And Djokovic pulled away in the 5-8 through eight and more than anything, the 0-4 through four rally length. But it was when Djokovic didn't have the forehand going to create enough offense, um, especially early in points behind his serve, that was when he was really having issues separating himself from Prismich. Eventually, the forehand clicked. Novak also started getting craftier in rallies. I do think the net rush frequency rose a little bit. Uh, there were there were more drop shots from Djokovic. There were more short slices from Djokovic, which he used in a couple of moments in a big way um, to get out of jams. And Novak found a way. Novak's reaction after the match spoke volumes. He was imploring the crowd to acknowledge Prismich's effort. He was telling Prismich to take a curtain call because he felt that 
Dino deserved that moment of acknowledgement with the crowd. Clearly, Prismich had earned Novak Djokovic's respect. So again, um, I got to see him in different circumstances against different opponents. I need to see Prismich's rate of improvement because that is, above all else, the thing I value when it comes to young players. How quickly, how good are you at improving? How quickly do you improve? That, that ultimately determines how great a champion you can become. Um, that is why I became so high so quickly on Yannick Sinner and Carlos Alcaraz. But I am absolutely delighted with what we saw last night because it has the makings of what could be another tremendous addition to the ATP Tour with a phenomenal talent, a special player in Dino Prismich. At the time of recording, there have been no significant upsets on the men's side at the Australian Open. But there was a really close call. Andre Rublev almost lost to Tiago Zaibachvilch. Went to a fifth set tiebreak. Rublev was down 4-1 in that fifth set tiebreak. Came back to win it 10-6. It would have been a very rare upset for Rublev, who has been oh so reliable at majors as of late. I mentioned five out of the last six slams. He's made quarterfinals. But also, if you look at his resume as a whole, Rublev became a top player in 2020. That's when he became a top 10 player. Look at the majors that he's played since 2020, and you'll see three losses that would qualify as like early losses. They're two classic dark horses, like bona fide, dangerous, unseated players. Lorenzo Sinego, Martin Fucevic, Jan Lennard Struff. Since 2020, Rublev has not lost to a player outside the top 50 at a major. 30-0. This was his 30th win in a row against players ranked outside the top 50 at slams. Vilch would have ended that streak at 29. Another reason why this was surprising, I mean, Tiago, Tiago Zabach Vilch, we see and we saw what kind of ability he has when he upset Daniil Medvedev at Roland Garros last year. He is a real talent with a forehand that from a firepower standpoint, I'd put up with basically anybody's. But on hard court, he's done nothing. It's stunning how little Vilch has accomplished on hard court at this point in his career. This would have been his first top 100 victory on a hard court. And it would have been against a top 10 player at a major. This would have only been his second ATP hardcourt win of his career, which is amazing. Um, if you watch that match, that it's tough to wrap your mind around that. Anyway, why was this match so close? Why did Vilch give Rublev such a run for his money? Well, look, Tiago's forehand the overwhelming weapon that it is. It did catch fire at times in this match. And the serve was dominant. From start to finish, I thought Andre was fine in the lengthy exchanges. But there were large stretches of this match 
where Rublev could not survive the serve plus one of Tiago Zybach-Vilch. And that was, again, twofold. Part of it was a stunning number of missed returns from Rublev. I mean, he made Vilch look like a way better server than traditionally Tiago actually is. He made him look like a phenomenal server. And statistically, over a, like a large sample size, he's not that good a server. And from the eye test, it looked like there were a lot of classic kind of Andre Rublev returns where he's taking really big cuts at the ball. So, you know, if the if he connects on it right, well then okay, it's a great return, but there's also a lot of a lot of missed returns because he's mistiming the ball because he's taking big swings. So there's a lot of that. The second critique is and this was sometimes the case on the return of serve, sometimes the case in other areas of the match. But sometimes Rublev kind of lacked mindfulness when it comes to just making Vilch hit backhands instead of forehands. Like there, there were some, some moments in this match where some Rublev uh, second serves into Vilch's forehand, some approach shots into Vilch's forehand. Uh, not getting the return of serve often enough to the backhand. So the, the forehand of Vilch, it was really, really dominant at times. But on the other side, it seemed like Andre just didn't do a very good job of just staying away. And at least when you go there, go there hard, make him run over there. Uh, so that would be the second cr critique. And then the third critique was, I just think Rublev was making Vilch feel really good. Tiago is a mercurial competitor, to put it kindly. I mean, he's just, he's not the most tenacious, resilient competitor. But this was a match where I thought Tiago seemed like he was enjoying himself the entire time. And he seemed very engaged and focused the entire time. Well, why is that, maybe? Maybe it's because Rublev across, you know, on the other side of the net, didn't look like he had his shit together at all, seemed very frustrated and, like, panicky for most of the match. And it just, it makes you feel good. I know that's kind of a part of the Rublev experience, and he's accomplished a lot in his career doing this, and it's not something that I always bring up because sometimes it just doesn't matter. And, you know, at the end of the day... The most important thing is that you play a decent level during the points. And that's what I choose to focus on for the most part is how is he playing when the point starts? You want to yell or, you know, hit your hit your knee with your racket and blah, 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 whatever. You don't love to see it, but it's something that as an analyst, I'm willing to ignore most of the time. In this match, I couldn't help but think he was lifting up Vilch's spirits and helping a guy who is not very good at fighting from behind. Helping him feel very inspired, like he was in the match. So that would be my third critique for Andre Rublev. Not a lot of returns uh, came back in play in the fifth set because for as bad as Rublev was returning... He served the lights out in this fifth set. He served phenomenally well. So they go to a 10-point tiebreak. 
Rublev hits a couple of serves into the Vilch forehand, missed spots that Vilch just crushes. Just crushes. Uh, one of them wasn't even a terrible spot, and I got to just give Tiago credit for an amazing forehand return. Uh, then there were a couple of just serve plus one finishes from Vilch. One, to his credit, on the backhand to go up 4-1 in this 10-point tiebreak. Now, at this point, Rublev said after the match that he, he gave up. He said, I, I basically accepted that I was going to lose, and then I started playing better. Kind of classic Andre Rublev stuff. Very honest after the match. Very vulnerable. Very mental. From there, I'll say two things happened. One, Rublev hit five serves. Four of them did not come back. Continuation of what we saw in the entire fifth set. His serve was dominant in the fifth set. It bailed him out. It is the number one reason he won this match and he is still in the Australian Open, period. Uh, but in this 10-point tiebreak, even in that microcosm down the stretch, it was spectacular. Four unreturnables on his last five serves. The second thing that happened was the serve plus one dominance of Vilch completely went away. From 4-1 up, he had six more service points in the 10-point tiebreak. So six more times he played points on serve. Zero, zero times out of those six did he make a first serve and hit a first ball forehand. That is the very thing that was keeping him in the match, was keeping him toe-to-toe -to -toe with Rublev, and in some cases giving him the advantage over Rublev up until this point. Rublev couldn't handle the first serve, and he couldn't handle the plus-one forehand. And what do you know? Down the stretch, Vilch misses way too many first serves. The couple that he does make, Rublev actually makes the return to his backhand. And there it is. Rublev suddenly has a whole lot of success. There were some mistakes beyond that from Vilch. Pretty uh, easy missed backhand volley. An impatient net approach off of a backhand cross court where he, he didn't really have a great advantage in the rally to come forward. And I would just say if you have just a spectacular forehand, uh, maybe don't approach off of your backhand cross and if you hit a good backhand cross, then uh, just cheat to your left and try to look for a forehand on the next ball and then come in. I would say that would be a sound sound advice generally for Tiago Zybach Vilch. But I think it was in the 5-6 point where we really saw the big picture problem with Tiago Zybach Vilch, the reason why he hasn't accomplished a little bit more, which is he just doesn't have the mentality to defend. Um, at 5-6, he still has the advantage, the mini-break advantage in this tiebreak. He hits this smoke shot backhand down the line. Really good one. And, but he admired it. He did not recover to the middle. So he hits the backhand on the line, and he watches it. And Rublev on the stretch does a really good job of kind of blocking this ball or uh, you know reflexing this ball 
with his forehand cross court into the open court. So Vilch, because he was admiring his backhand, uh, was late recovering and therefore late moving into the open court. And he did get there, but then he took this bailout slap running forehand. Like Vilch's defense is shockingly bad at times. And this is one of those shots which uh, which was just like, again, shows a complete lack of desire to play any defense whatsoever. And those are the little things in his game uh, that are hurting him. But he almost pulled this off. A um, couple more first serves down the stretch in the 10-point tiebreak. And I think there's a good chance he would have pulled this off. Uh, but Andre Rublev, with a pretty clutch performance, all things considered, very clean after going down 4-1, and the serving bailed him out. So he remains in the Australian Open. Here's the strangest thing I saw today. Stefanos Tsitsipas takes the court for his first round match at the Australian Open against Zizou Bergs because Matteo Berrettini pulled out. And he starts hitting his serve with a pinpoint stance, or otherwise known as the step up. Pinpoint means feet together. The alternative, think Roger Federer, is platform where the feet are apart. For Stefanos Tsitsipas's entire career, he has had a platform serve. And here he is with a pinpoint serve. Just 11 days ago at the United Cup, and I did go back to check the footage, Tsitsipas played Steven Diaz, the Canadian, and his serve was normal. The same old technique, the platform technique that he has always used. My assumption was that the change in serve technique was a protective measure because of his back issue. We know that his back wasn't really healed throughout the offseason, we know he pulled out of the ATP finals with the back issue. We know he pulled out of a singles match at United Cup with the back issue. And I witnessed him playing a mixed doubles match at the United Cup where the serve seemed to aggravate his back or his back was seemingly giving him issues on the serve specifically. So I knew that that was a shot that was affected by the back issues. And then I saw this drastic change in technique. I figured, okay, he's doing this because it takes strain off the back. I am not a biomechanics expert. I cannot explain to you how that works, why that works, or even confirm with 100% certainty that it is true that less load on the lower back results out of narrowing your base and serving from the pinpoint stance. But I do believe just my intuition is that that is the case. And that was my assumption. And that is the only thing that made sense to me, given Stefanos Tsitsipas does not need to change his serve technique. Of all of the things that Stefanos Tsitsipas could tinker with, could adjust, could improve, the serve technique really doesn't make the list. Here's a stat that everybody should know about and everybody should keep in their head because it's a, a very illuminating statistic. Stefanos Tsitsipas was second on tour in 2023. Last year, 
the year that Tsitsipas struggled. He was second on tour and hold percentage, just barely behind Novak Djokovic for first place. There's no reason for him to change his serve technique, especially at a major with 11 days ago, he was had the old technique when he's the defending finalist. Just makes no sense. So to my delight, after the match, Tsitsipas was asked about this. He was asked, I know you've had the back issue. Ha- you know, we saw that sometimes uh, you were changing up your, your serve technique because I should backpedal. I should backtrack. Uh, by the end of the match, Tsitsipas was back to the platform and we saw him kind of mixing it up throughout the third and the fourth set. I'll also tell you that through two sets against Zizou Berks, his first serve percentage was hovering around 46%. It would have been his worst serving performance by percentage since May of last year. In the third set and in the fourth set, the percentage went way, way up, and he ended with a decent percentage because he started, he got a really good rhythm, started making a lot, but it took a little while. So he was asked after the match, hey, what's with the serve? Was it, is it because of the back? Which is the logical question to ask. And Tsitsipas said, he said, it's tactical. And then he kind of laughed. I wasn't sure if he was being sarcastic, and Tsitsipas can be sarcastic sometimes. And then he kind of says, look, in all seriousness, quote, it's something I've been working on. A lot of players follow that serve technique, and they are very good servers. Then he started listing some of the servers. I've been trying it out the last few days. The last few days he's been trying it out. This is crazy to me. Like, my mind is blown. You you just changed your serve a few days before the Australian Open because a lot of players use that technique and their serves are good? I, I almost don't believe what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing. It, it's completely different than anything I have ever seen. I've never heard of a player just changing their technique a few days before a major, kind of for no reason. So we'll see how it plays out. Um, and we'll see if he goes back to the platform. Uh, I'm not really casting any judgments. I'm not looking at this from a, a negative point of view. I'm not criticizing Tsitsipas. I'm just stunned because I've never seen it before. And uh, it speaks to his talent and it speaks to the simplicity of some of the, the basics and the, the foundation of his serve technique that he can make such a big change in his lower body footwork or his his uh his base and then it you know he can still serve at a, a world class level which I'm not super super surprised by because you know I personally I've I've had a platform serve my whole life I've played around with the pinpoint and my serve doesn't like stink with a pinpoint it's still pretty much it's somewhere around the level of my regular serve so um, I think those who have played around on the court know 
that you can kind of go back and forth and it doesn't, you don't completely forget how to serve just by changing your footwork. But at this level where the small details are everything, it is insanely novel what we saw with Pass today. Uh, I'll end on this. Steph's right that the vast majority of the best serves uh, serve out of a pinpoint stance. Um, and what I have in front of me on my phone are the top 10 servers calculated by Tennis Insights. Um, so this is the serve quality on a scale from zero through 10, uh, and they track the speed, the location, the spin, uh, how often their serves are aces, how often they're unreturned, how often they set up an attack on the plus one, all that stuff. Uh, John Isner is number one, pinpoint, and then I'll go from here. Hercotch, pinpoint, Berrettini, pinpoint, Eubanks, pinpoint, Borna Goyo, I'm not sure, it's not etched into my brain, uh, Lloyd Harris, pinpoint, Alexander Zverev, pinpoint, Nicholas Jari, pinpoint, uh, Quentin uh, Alice, um, Contan, Contan, I, I don't say his first name correctly, I'm sorry. Um, I, I, I learned it and then I forgot it. Uh, I, I think he's pinpoint, but I'm not 100%. Kokonakis, pinpoint. Rinderknecht, pinpoint. There's your top 11. So maybe, Steph, maybe Stefanos Tsitsipas is on to something, but it is certainly the most surprising, the most bizarre thing I have seen at this year's Australian Open. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.